everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not recording these podcasts or writing articles all about various endurance sports and training and nutrition, I am hopefully outside practicing both good training and good nutrition. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach, and you're here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we look at different types of movement and sport from all different perspectives to try and learn something about ourselves and healthy living and just other ways we might be moving through the world. Yeah, lots of lots of moving, although not through the world for us this past week. I had probably my biggest, I think, training week I've had in a, a while running, but we've we've been in one place which is pretty miraculous for us yeah i mean you've been moving through your tiny world but it's not you're not traveling the world but i enjoy my tiny little world i was saying the other day unlike peter who i think thrives on the more adventure rides and always checking out at least one new road or route or trail or something during every ride i would be equally happy just going out and back on the one trail near our house which is kind of sad for me but you know what i enjoy it that's what i like well i explored a dead-end gravel road today and ran into two deer that i sat and watched it was quite nice i'm just imagining you getting to the end and being like all right i'm not gonna flip around how am i gonna get through these woods well the dilemma was that indeed there would be a way to get through but it involved a ski hill and a lot of mud today so we're gonna put that we're gonna table that adventure for a couple weeks here as uh, we've gotten our big spring cleaning shower which molly always laughs how canadians sort of excuse their rainy the rain it's so great Aren't, aren't we so lucky you to be it. getting this 18 straight days yeah. of rain? Need it. We really needed it. Yeah. We did not. Well, it cleans things up is what they say. It does not. <laughs> so yeah, so we're doing that. We're dealing with spring. We got a nice consistent April here. We're sort of building towards some May races. We're- I ran a billion miles this weekend. I don't know about a billion, but you're putting in consistent uh, and slowly increasing volume with some appropriate intensity sprinkled in between. A billion miles. And lots of recovery. So, yeah. So, that's about that. So, uh, what do we have news-wise? Uh, well, Shred Girls is out two weeks from today. That's Shred Girls, Lindsay's Joyride. It's book one in the series. Super excited about that. So, if you've pre-ordered on Amazon, it's getting closer to when you'll actually receive it in the mail. Yay! Um, and if you haven't pre-ordered and you're still thinking about it, now is the time. I'm doing. I'm sending out stickers pretty much daily at this point, actually, because people keep emailing me with their pre-orders and anyone that does pre-order let me know i will send you these really cool shred girl stickers uh yeah so that's that's coming up i'm freaking out yep and we're definitely doing still the launch party in markham ontario near the the greater toronto area uh we're at joyride bike park uh so you can look that up it's at shred-girls.com as well Uh, and that's open to anyone who wants to come and ride around Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, Should and be a good time. Yeah, I'm super stoked. Uh, what else? I think that's that's pretty much our big thing right now. That's what the big push is about. I am pretty much just immersed in that world. I'm working on edits on book number two right now, and that's taken me out to uh, it's more west coast and a little downhill based. Um, very very mountain bikey, which is actually pretty appropriate for today's guest. Yeah, we have Jeff Kabush, uh, who's 
uh, returning guest second time or third second time? time second time but this will be the i think fifth time we've had a kabush right. on the podcast now jeff's sister um it has been on three times yep. she was just on recently which is a great episode um dealing with energy balance and some sports psych uh, concepts so definitely check that out if you haven't but Jeff's back and we'll link to the previous episode with him as well um, and so what we're got talking about today is sort of how his trainings evolved I think since he's been on he's even shifted more so away from you know the traditional cross-country or cross-country Olympic disciplines. All right, let's, let's back up so Jeff Kabosh is one of Canada's most decorated mountain bikers um, I can't even tell you how many times he's been national champion he's two or three time Olympic Olympian. Two, for sure. Yeah. Two-time Olympian. Did quite well in one of the Olympics. Um, you know, he's been racing for... He's won a World Cup, which is also huge. a big deal for Canada. Um, so yeah, he's done for well over two decades. And I think, like, that's really good, but he's also made a name for himself as being, like, A, just, like, I think fairly approachable and, like, always a fun story, but he also races all sorts of disciplines. Like, he's always at Cross Vegas racing cyclocross and different cyclocross races. He's lately been doing some gravel and uh, some longer distance stuff like Dirty Kanza and then some stage racing as well. Um, but, yeah, I've just been around since sort of the glory days even um, of mountain biking and won Norbas back in the day when they were, like massive and the prize purses were bigger and much more consistent series and stuff so he's got a lot of good stories and a lot of really good experience and i always like talking to jeff because he's he's never he's very consistent he he loves geeking out on stuff and the training he loves um but he's never really like too far down like a rabbit hole and i think that speaks to his consistency um you know he's tried different things we talk a little bit about spiro tiger and breathing into balloons and stuff today and altitude training uh, but you know, the heart of his training is like, he rides his mountain bike a lot. Um, and that's what he's gotten good at over a lot of years. Right. So I think that's what I always like talking to Jeff about is just sort of that. I don't know what you call that. Just the fundamentals, right? Fundamentals, consistency, love of the sport. Yeah. So what we talk about today then is we talk how he set his bike up and any tweaks and hacks and things he had for uh, the Moab Rock stage race. So anyone doing mountain bike stage races or any type of stage racing this uh, year will be into that and some of the little things he carried with him and how he prepared. And then we also talk a bit about gravel bike setup. He's doing dirty cans and a couple other big gravel races. So we talk a bit about sort of what that looks like with all the heat and the distance and the fueling and stuff. Uh, he talks a bit about his fueling strategies in both those events. So I really liked the talk of bike setup. Um, it's something I talk about all the time when I do bike shop talks is a lot of us kind of get our bikes either fit by someone else or like just set up for us at the bike shop. And that's sort of it. We just kind of assume that that's the best way to set up our bike. So I think it's really cool to notice that even at the highest level, you're still making these little tweaks and changes yourself and, you know, taking like being willing to play with that. Well, and I think it, it's sometimes the difference between like fitting a bike versus setting it up. So, I mean, he's going in this case between different disciplines and setting up different bikes. Um, so sometimes it's like just getting the bike set up for you, which is, is an element of fitting, right? But there's the, you know, moving of levers and lockout levers. And we talk a bit about like the bento box and where all the bags are. And Jeff actually has a really cool thing where he, he tried a bento box. It's, his bike had like a thing for it and he was going to use it for dirty cans. It seemed like what people did, but then he actually, he has a bit, his one knee kicks in a bit, um, 
and he, he had actually would brush on the bento box so he actually just got rid of that but he, 200 miles of brushing would get real yeah. annoying so it's it's a lot of it is that gameplay or that testing right so mm-hmm. we talk a bit about that and using the packs and stuff like that as well because it's definitely that's sort of the thing and we in the last podcast with jeff we talked about enduro racing uh, which is a whole other bike and a whole other ordeal. And he talked about how like a lot of the prep specific preparation beyond his normal sort of consistent training, the normal intervals and volume and stuff he would do just to remain fit, uh, was j- just getting out on the enduro bike so that he'd use the dropper posts and get used to that slight different position and the bigger suspension and all the levers and carrying the pack and the helmets and everything else. Um, so yeah, that's what I mean. Like it, it's not rocket science, but I think we forget that sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Where, you know, we actually have to get out mountain biking with all our gear, right? And I've been super proud. I have a few clients going for Dirty Cans and they've been all out um, riding with, you know, way too much stuff for the rides they're doing, the training rides, because they're not a 12 and 13 and 14 hour ride, but they're weighting themselves down like they're going to have to between the aid stations, right? And for these big days. And I think that applies not just to cycling. I mean, I've been doing that with running. I'm going out on these, you know, 45 minute runs and I'm wearing my vest that I'll wear for a 50K. And it's, you know, it's not necessarily even weight at that point. For me, it's more just getting used to where the vest is like touching. And so sort of similar to Jeff, like I've had to make a couple adjustments because my elbow is brushing this thing and I don't want it to be brushing... Mm-hmm. for hours at a time yeah, and just figure out where all that food is and how to get in your mouth we talked in our last q a i think a bit about that and we've talked a few times about sort of the skill of fueling but it's so common first race or different race uh first race of the season first race ever where it's like oh i just couldn't eat or drink because it was just so hectic and it's like well i mean it's hectic but i mean that's the race you're in right like the tour de france people can drink and they have to do that right so you know in cross-country mountain biking people figure it out so even in a tight single track or something right like there's there's ways around this it might be a pack for certain people it might be figuring out how to hold that bottle and pull it out while things are all crazy right but Mm -hmm. it's it gets back to that well if you can go out and maybe do some intervals or or ride that bike in that situation Mm -hmm. all right well Uh, i'm sure i think what else yeah we talk a bit about doping too which is something like just really into um so yeah uh, think, not not into uh yeah i mean the anti-doping for sure there we go <laughs> i don't know how much he like studies the art of doping or anything but he's very much against doping uh and dopers so we talk a bit about that because I, I think in some ways i don't i don't know that our opinions clash but i think it is like i'm not as overtly out there against doping and so jeff had tweeted something about people like making more of a obvious stand against it and so i just wanted his opinion on that because it was a little different from my like sit in the middle and never say anything not that i'm even you know it's i don't even know how to say it but it's a delicate issue so i think we, we talk on that for a while hopefully it doesn't go too negative for anyone but i think it's worth talking about and hopefully this is my contribution to putting it out there that you know doping is bad um you heard it here first yes, folks breaking <laughs> uh and then oh the one thing you do need to know hopefully you haven't skipped past this yet uh there is a video that jeff put out last year that we actually talked about in the last podcast where he does uh, drinks a beer, has does 50 push-ups, drinks another beer. And this is his like training for Belgium is sort of this video he's put out. So we do reference that. So it's important that you know that we'll link to it in the show notes, but that's the concept of sort of the Belgian training that there's a question about during the, the podcast. It is a joke. Please don't actually train like that. I don't know. He did okay when he went to Belgium. Okay. Train for 25 <laughs> years, race two Olympics, win yeah. countless national Surround titles. Surround that beer by enough volume and you'll be okay. Yeah. 
All right, without further ado, let's get into today's podcast with Jeff Kabush. We've had a pretty exciting couple of weeks here, some really cool results to watch. Um, what have you been up to? Yeah, it's kind of nice. My season these days starts a bit bit later, a little less uh, pressure. Really, really enjoyed a nice winter this year. Uh, taking some time off the bike on some snow skiing in Canada and down here in Truckee Tahoe where I'm hanging now and kind of started this season a couple weeks ago out in Moab at the Moab Rocks stage race. It's always kind of a fun, relaxed event to kind of roll into the year and always, you know, pretty spectacular place to go visit. So that was kind of a, a fun way to get things rolling. And then, uh, yeah, I actually road tripped all the way down from Canada to California out there and then back up to Sea Otter, uh, which is, uh, it's always fun festival now. There's obviously a bit of racing going on there, but uh, it's kind of a big industry get together. So busy weekend there, which was, was fun to see everyone did a little bit of XE racing again and now I'm back regrouping uh, up in Truckee kind of nice the events are kind of spaced out with some weeks off so all set and kind of getting things rolling into whiskey off-road coming up in about 10 days or so right right um, and you were taking odds for your own um, result at Sea Otter in the XCO um, did you get any it was, was there bets like what, what were people thinking well, you know, well, I, I mean, I always think I got a chance at Sea Otter with the few tricks up my sleeve, but uh, no, it's just funny looking, I was looking where I was ranked going in there and I was down to the one UCI point. Uh, I think I have I was more UCI on. points than you. This is good. <laughs> well, I just moved up, I just oh. moved up about 600 spots, I think. So oh yeah. You probably on have my way now. back up. Cause that was uh that was an HC, right? Yeah. So yeah. Okay. You're beating me again. My, my, was, my fame um, was short-lived. I got a few tricks, but uh, I definitely didn't have the the power to go with those those young guys early on. But uh, fun to fun to see everyone there and, and jump in for sure. Well, you were close. Like it's it was <clears> impressive. <throat> I thought, but yeah, I was just kind of dangling. On, uh, there's the two XC races there, the shorter course, kind of HC race and the long course, and both days I just wasn't didn't have enough urgency to make that front group but uh could have hung with them but don't think i had the the firepower to finish it off but uh would have been fun to get up there in the lead group for sure did you find you know you did a great report which i'll link to uh with lots of good photos and stuff uh from moab rocks and like you say it looks like an amazing event i'm hoping we can get down and maybe do it even next year but um did you find the recovery from that? Because it was pretty close. So you see sort of road trip back. Was that tough coming from, you know, a, a, a stage race into like full gas, world-class XCO? Yeah, well, well, I'm glad I had a bit of a, a few efforts out in Moab to warm up, but I did get kind of a head cold right after Moab. And I mean, that's the biggest thing for me uh, for racing is staying fresh and healthy. So I was a little worried there. It was a bit hectic. I, uh, mostly building bikes too in the sea otter i had to take uh, four bikes down there to for boost and getting that stuff already it was a bit hectic so it was uh, nice to just finally get out and race and i i mean i felt pretty pretty solid at sea otter uh maybe a few more you know xco races would have helped me kind of hang a bit longer but no i mean uh moab's definitely physical place to ride but uh been doing a lot of you know off the bike skiing and uh, uh over all the bodies pretty fit from the winter so handled that all right yeah i mean i always you know i was thinking about intros and just sort of 
what you've done and stuff. And, you know, I definitely think about you as a, a consummate athlete. And I think over the years, certainly it just depends on the year's focus and stuff, but you've always sort of kept, um, some skiing or some running or, or certainly every basically, or a lot of types of biking. And, um, did you find this year, like, were you doing, you were definitely doing more of the skiing and stuff just because you didn't have that pressure of the early world cups? Uh, I mean, definitely I did, did more skiing. It was more to do with the, the good winters. Um, especially down here in Truckee Tahoe came up here, uh, quite a bit more and got some more Nordic days. I mean, I always get a good stretch back at home. I was back home over Christmas for two and a half weeks and didn't touch the bike and just did a bunch of Nordic and backcountry primarily is what I do. But, you know, I used to be really focused on getting the, you know, the core and, um, in the gym a lot during my race career. And, you know, maybe I kind of let that, that slip as I've been a bit more relaxed with my, my training regimen the last couple of years. So uh, I kind of felt like, uh, this year I kind of wanted to pay a bit more attention to that. So I kind of made sure when I was down, uh, in, uh, the Bay area, just road riding that I got on the gym. Usually I'd go, you know, do about once or twice a week, like an hour, kind of uh, core and strength, using an extra bo- exercise ball and light weights to make sure, you know, have that overall body strength and everything's balanced out. I think a lot of people kind of underestimate uh, how much that, you know, muscular endurance, the upper body and core really contributes to kind of racing success and being able to recover and handle the, the mountain biking. And when you were younger, we've talked about this on the previous podcast too, but you, you did do a lot of sort of stability ball and then none of the weights were like crusher, right? But like you definitely were doing um, a lot of sort of that balance and like you say, more muscular endurance, even type sets and reps. Yeah. I mean, I use, I'll never, never really used anything more than five or 10 pound weights, but just kind of a, a core upper body balance kind of circuit i'll just rotate through exercises for an hour uh, and when i go to the gym it must be like it's sort of it was if i remember because of Jurgen and stuff it was probably fairly cross-country skier uh like at least in its origin do you think that routine well i mean i think just i think like i mean we used to call it a swiss ball exercise ball so i think a lot of that i mean you'll see it in the swiss athletes a lot too kind of paying attention to those kind of core and strength exercises and yeah it's never it's never big weights but it's that kind of muscular endurance which uh i mean these days when i can nordic ski that's the my my favorite way to do it um just to get in the core and upper body uh, on the skis for sure but when uh when there's not much to do besides road riding in the bay area i I definitely tried to pay a little bit more attention to it this winter and i feel like uh i'm feeling a lot better for it and I guess that's too where the, you know, riding the bigger enduro bikes and stuff like that too is a little bit more, you know, some of it takes a bit more strength, a bit more endurance even to move that around, I would imagine too. Yeah. I mean, when I'm up in BC riding uh, a big, bigger trail bike, it's definitely um, using the full body a lot more on the, those technical trails. And I mean, yeah, when I'm racing enduro, you need to have that, that strength in the upper body as well to keep pushing and handle the 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 bigger hits Hmm. um so i've sort of gone into training here so that's i think good um what i was sort of wondering you've sort of touched on it a bit sort of how you've undulated and maybe come back a bit to that core and stuff is there anything else you know as you've sort of maybe focused more i would say on longer stuff you know you're maybe doing a bit less xco a bit less cyclocross um have you changed anything or gone away from (coughs) anything 
Um, I think it's more just as a aging athlete, I'd call myself. I, it's still the the same kind of building blocks that I I used in uh, during my more you know World Cup days. But for me, it's I'm doing maybe more racing or more longer racing. And the biggest thing I have to pay attention to is my recovery. I just can't I can't plan you know training uh, straight after race. I have to really kind of wait for that that feeling to come back that my body's ready, ready to get back into training. So I definitely have to, uh, really pay close attention to my, my recovery and how I'm feeling, wait till I'm feeling good on the bike until I can get back into the, those building blocks that are still, you know, quite similar to what I was doing next year days. I never, never really felt my body reacted very well to a lot of really short intensity. You know, the typical three minute intervals I could, I could do, that kind of stuff and have a you know fantastic workout but never really felt like it it translated um some of those workouts into my exio success so um a lot of it's you know still i mean obviously the basic basic long rides and some longer tempo workouts and then uh for sure i'll throw in a bit more spicy kind of short on on off stuff to kind of stimulate that high end and recovery but pretty similar just uh have to pay you know a lot more attention to my recovery and and wait for the body to to start feeling good and react from the from the hard racing i think that's a great answer and i think a good lesson you know for those of us that aren't you know world class and, and coming from that background too that that you know watching how much racing and how much high intensity there is in that mix um how do you like how do you aside from like your years of experience like is there any way that you're gauging sort of that that feeling you know when you can start training again after so you had like moab say and i guess you were really just coming into sea otter but is there any way you know when you're you're ready to sort of start hitting a bit more volume or intensity i mean a lot of it's just a general feeling on the bike um i mean i'll I'll go out and, you know, try to start doing some two-hour, three-hour rides, but it's almost a feeling of, you know, good coordination along with, you know, heart rate levels. When I, The heart rate, uh, I mean, is still, like, super low and not coming up under some intensity. can definitely tell there's still some recovery to be done, but a lot of it's almost going to be a subtle feeling like my legs are coordinated on the bike um, and ready to push. Uh, but, yeah, just kind of paying a attention to those sensations on the bike and you know walking up walk, walking upstairs is always a good indicator if you're feeling the leg to the top of the stairs it's not time to start pushing yeah yeah it's funny how that that sort of just like easing out of bed or the like you say the stairs are sometimes a good indicator yeah and like i said i used to i mean i used to be able to you know kind of push through and load the body up but i feel like these days i have to definitely be much more careful to not dig dig too deep in a hole or it takes me you know a long time to come back so it's definitely i feel like uh last year i had a lot of commitments kind of in the spring season so didn't feel like i came into this season with a solid fitness so felt like uh especially some of the like the epic rides did a lot of damage to me because i really pushed deep and took a long time you know a week to recover from some of the events but feel like i'm coming into this season a lot more solid fitness so i'm kind of handling those those race efforts a bit more and recovering a bit quicker which is nice 
Nice. Nice. Yeah. I think it's, it's, we're all like, you want to, you know, you either had a great race and you're so motivated, you want to like go back and start hitting it to get even fitter, right? Like if you're, if you won, you want to get even fitter. And then if it went crappy, you just want to like either go and punish yourself or, you know, you got to go back to work. Right. And it's, it's that discipline sometimes. And that sort of longer term focus that, you know, like you say, there's these whiskey races coming up in a few weeks, um, to just be patient. Right. And it's, it's tough. Yeah. No, it's the hardest part. I mean, like I mentioned, got a bit a uh, bit sick after Moab, and I was obviously t- planning on taking a bit of rest, but uh, got a bit sick and had to take five days off the bike. But uh, knew it wasn't going to do me any good to try to get back out there early. Needed to, you know, wait for my buddy body to get healthy and right. feeling better. Um, and yeah, that sometimes that's really test is test the patience. Okay. Um, I think you touched on lots of great stuff as far as strength and, you know, you were on your skis for a lot of time without even touching your bike and, you know, taking breaks when you're sick and stuff. So that's some, some really good takeaways for us. Um, there's more high level question that just came in, uh, over the last hour or so. Um, and you've, you do pretty well at altitude, don't you generally? Would you say that about yourself? Yeah. I mean, uh, typically, I mean, I, Spent a lot of time going back away, but back in the day, a lot of the, you know, Norba U.S. national races were at altitude and found like I adapted and did well at those for sure. Do you think it gets better over time? Like even if you're not necessarily living at altitude or having like a tent or something, do you think like the more you go to altitude, like gets better every time? Yeah, for sure. Um, kind of uh, in the early 2000s, I started um going back and forth to, to boulder at the time for two or three winters there back and forth from from altitude to to sea level and definitely felt like my body started to react and adapt quicker um but i think i mean part of it too is just i mean awareness that you're at altitude and you can't train and race like you're at sea level uh, for sure if i'm you know at a long long got a long period at altitude definitely that first week got to be really gentle on the body um if i haven't been altitude for a while and adapt and i think a lot of my success in racing was kind of being aware of that i mean you know the my pacing and strategy was always one of my my strong suits and i think that's where you know typically a lot of sea level athletes can run into problems is they try to start at altitude like they start at sea level and you know if you go over the limit at altitude it's really hard to bring it back so it's kind of you know one in training kind of easing into training at altitude really conservatively and you know even if it's just taking walks and hikes the first couple days and really being aware of the body and yeah once you get in the race you got to be really aware of your body and not uh going into the red zone because it's you know it's really hard to bring it back from there i think those are great concepts for sure um i think you know, the, as much as you can, you know, if you're, this is again, sort of a high level topic in some ways, but you know, I have people going to Leadville and stuff and often, you know, if they have the means we try and get there ahead of time or, or even go, you know, earlier in the season, or if we're thinking more long-term, which would always be great if we weren't just sort of cramming into it, you know, the year before going, like you say, to Boulder and for vacation or something. Right. Um, would you say, like, is there any rules that you follow even now, you know, you're going to go and do X race at altitude, something like Breck Epic or something like that. Would you try and get there early or do you like, how do you, maybe Breck Epic's a bad example. Say nationals were at altitude again. Um, do you try and get there early or, or what do you do for yourself? Yeah. I mean, luckily, I mean, part of the, 
nice part for me, um, uh, stay in Truckee here and it's at 6,000 feet or 1,800 meters for, so that was for sure whiskey off road coming up is at, at altitude up five, 7,000 feet down in, in Arizona. So for sure, part of my strategy for that was to come straight up to Truckee after sea otter. So have at least, you know, 10 days to kind of, um, ease into that altitude before going down there to race. And so for me, I mean, if possible, I'd always try to, to get up at least 10 days, two weeks, or if I couldn't do that, it was going to be stay as low as I can and just go up for the race. I mean, I do that, uh, back in the day, big bear down in California, I'd stay down in Redlands and just drive up for the racing. To, it's kind of that in between where, which, uh, you know, two or three days where it can be hit your body in the low, low period, but, for sure sometimes you can't can't focus on it too much and you just kind of have to ignore the fact that you're at altitude if you can't uh, prepare early or or go up early and not let it get to your head because you know everyone everyone's going to be suffering up there and uh, don't need any reason to make it w- worse on you mentally i think you're that, that's a great point like the a lot of times people overthink it and use it so much but like you say there's so much you can control as far as like the pacing right and ultimately it's just knocking you back you know, whatever percentage of VO2 or like you're just going a little slower, right? And you got to be a little more careful. But if, if you just sort of stick with it, like a lot of these races, nationals is a mean one, but, you know, a lot of these endurance races, like it, it shouldn't be that big of a deal, right? If you've done the work for the race otherwise. No. And I think, I mean, like any race, uh, when you go to altitude, the biggest thing is um, not being too fatigued and healthy. So uh, for anything, you don't want to, you know, put in a massive, massive training block and be super fatigued uh, as you head up to altitude, just like travel. It's nice to go. You know, you're going to feel bad when you head up to, you know, six, eight, ten thousand 10,000 feet talking about Breck. It's brutal up there, but yeah, you don't want to go in already in a hole because it's going to be harder to, to climb out of that hole. So if you can, yeah. Um, yeah. Just taper into taper into the altitude. So you're not in too big of a hole. Do you think like we've both done different types of respiratory training and stuff using Spyro Tiger or different apparatus? Um, do you do you feel like that has helped over the years? For sure, um, I used to do some of the you know higher frequency Spyro Tiger training to kind of try to adapt the the respiratory system for that increased load when I went up uh, to race at altitude. So definitely, that's a good strategy as well. Um, it is a thin air, but a lot of it's uh, the, the increased respiratory load. So doing some of the you know higher intensity, higher frequency breathing, like you're going to be doing in a race effort at altitude, definitely be a good way to try to adapt if you don't have access to an altitude tent or or staying up at altitude as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a great tool. Just like the barrier to get it right is, is tricky and then having people committed to use it i think is always the tricky bit but I, I i'm the same in that i think that it definitely helps prepare so that you have options you know when you find yourself you know just even going really really hard if not at altitude going hard yeah cool all right well that's i think something for for people to think about again i think it's a lot of this is just like world-class basics i guess right like you just you know stay healthy don't go too crazy like ease into things um, in the name of easing into things, the second question that's just come in is about the Coach K's uh, cyclocross training program. Um, I'll post the video for Coach K's cyclocross training program. Uh, so the question was, how much is the is the beer really that important for training in 
Europe for cyclocross? Um, or if someone was very good at push-ups, could they compensate, do you think? And, and I guess in terms of how it, how, maybe to the challenge? Um, <laughs> it's a very high-level question for a pretty jokey thing, but uh, I'll post again well, Jeff's link. We've uh, yeah talked about the importance of push-ups for sure, which I believe in, but if, if someone's adverse to, to alcohol, they can always you know, do the workout with some lacroix. Just make sure to take some video, close-up video of your face when you're trying to do it with some bubbly lacroix. Fair enough. Um, we'll just let people's imagination run wild if they don't know about Coach K's cyclocross training program. But yeah, you indeed, you did prepare with a lot of like bubbly water. You weren't actually like drinking beer before the, the push-up beer challenge. Well, yeah, I think, I mean, I think bubbly water is almost a higher degree of difficulty. So mm -hmm. okay. give, give that an effort and then you can ease into the beer later if you're old enough. <laughs> I love it. It's like, you're so serious about it. I love it. Uh, I mean, you got there. So um, anyhow, let's move on to more interesting or maybe more specific, I guess. I guess they're, they're both important. Um, but for, we'll try and rhyme through these, but what I was wondering, you know, a lot of people are doing gravel this race and certainly you sort of, you used a gravel bike at, um, I'm blanking on the name of the race in Michigan. Iceman cometh. Yeah. Right. Right. And are you doing much gravel this year? Like what else are you doing on the gravel bike this year? Well, yeah, I just uh, actually officially signed up for dirty cans this morning. So oh, man. going back to that, um, there's a new event. I'm um, going back to Breck Epic, and this is going to be a doozy in August. I'm going to do the Breck Epic and then have one rest day and then do the SBT gravel race up in Steamboat Springs, 140-mile gravel race. So I'll see see how I survive August. That'll be that'll be a tough stretch. But no, for sure, I mean, I'm lucky I got that, that open bike, which can take the 27.5 mountain bike tires as well as gravel and road. So... That's what I rode at Iceman Cometh last year, which was a lot of fun jumping in the mountain bike race there on that bike. So definitely be looking forward to that one to finish off the year again too. So you'll run 27.5 tires. Um, what what like width are you running? Uh, in Iceman, I rode uh, yeah 27.5 by 2.1 Aspen tires, uh, Maxxis mountain bike tires. So pretty similar to what I would run on a 29er probably. But yeah, the 27.5 version fits on the open, and uh, yeah, if you've done a bit of cross, it's no problem riding those those trails on the drop bars. And I was going to ask you, it seemed like at Kansas, uh, a bunch of the winners, and I'm, I mean, we will acknowledge that all of you have sponsorships, but we're running the Maxxis, uh, is it the Rambler? Yeah, that's what uh, Ted was running. I'm not sure Josh, who was second, um, what tires he was on, but I yeah, last Katie, year I ran the, Katie ran the, the four Aspen too. Or the uh, the Rambler, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she was on the the Rambler. So that's what I rode last year. Um, definitely, uh, that's a big conversation out there in Kansas. Tires and um, durability. Um, definitely, I ran uh, that the higher thread count ones last year, which usually the uh, higher thread count is usually less less durable. So there's uh, different constructions of tires, and so I'll probably run the lower thread count 60 tpi tires which will be a bit bit tougher but definitely looking at uh, the rambler or maybe even some some faster rolling tires for this year out there cool um i think the other thing with these gravel races and certainly kansas is just like 
the gear setup, right? Um, even for the one in Steamboat you're doing, that's that's a long day, right? Like, are you running hydration pack? Yeah, so I work with Camelback. Um, out in Kansas, there's three feed zones. So my strategy last year actually pre-froze the, the Chase Vest with a 1.5-liter bladder in there. So I could pick up a new Chase Vest with that bladder and some nutrition from some gels, goose in there at each feed zone. So it was pretty nice to have that, that frozen pack as well as in that race, I'd take a couple half frozen bottles on my, my bike each every three, four hours there. Okay. Um, would you, uh, this is very specific, but would you get like a whole new vest and bladder? Like you weren't stopping long to like stuff a new vest. No, you're, no. You're lucky, a whole new vest. Yeah, lucky uh, Colby from Camelback was out there, and he was actually my support crew. So, yeah, I would just ditch the vest with him and grab a new one, and he'd lube up my bike. I'd throw on the vest and off to the off to the next one. Right, right. Yeah, those quick stops. Right, it's tough. Like you say, some you know the elites often get help, and you know they're not as busy at the feed zones and stuff. But uh, I think that's usually like that's a big thing. It's just same as Ironman, right? Like you gotta be in and out. Oh, that was, uh, I found it a bit ridiculous. That was kind of the, the hardest part of the race was the feed zone attacks. So, really? I mean, I was a bit, bit <laughs> too relaxed. I mean, um, yeah, coming, coming out of the feed zones was the hardest part. Uh, guys who were organized, that's where they're trying to make a difference. And so what? I kind of chase, chase back to the halfway feed zone and actually did a wheel change just to be safe, even though I'd kind of plugged my tire but that i did do uh, some serious chasing to kind of to regroup after a couple of the feed zones so now like nascar or, or any sort of car racing like is there not some point where they're gonna have to pit and then you just like take off yeah i mean it's uh it's hard hard to make a difference or get separation i mean especially with aero bars that's another conversation but yeah guys i was surprised um out there, there was kind of calls for a neutral peace stop, and people would keep riding hard, and uh, we had to go under a, a down power line, which was a hazard single file, and guys were kind of attacking out the, the backside of the hazard, and so it was, uh, people want to win that race bad, so they are taking it pretty serious. Hmm. That's crazy. <sighs> it's odd some of these races, right? Like, they're not as regulated as a UCI race, which is good, but I found that at Leadville, just like feeding randomly on the course and i'm like and like wheel support like motorcycles appearing out of places for guys and i was just like what is going on like i'm getting like you know there's two feed zones in the entire race and it's like people are getting fed like at the tops of climbs and like randomly on the road and it's it's pretty wild sometimes those races but i guess that's what you sign up for yeah i mean kansas kind of jumped the shark last year and it's gonna be really nuts this year with all the rumored pro tour road guys showing up so should be yeah. quite the show yeah i don't know we're having that with our paris Ancaster this year there's this big same like you're saying hype and we'll see how it all goes but with all these road teams and floyd landis's team and stuff like this and it's just like i don't know i i'm, I'm like torn between not like just being like oh, i'm just gonna go ride my bike on my own and you know not not try at them and then wanting to go and, and fight, right? I don't know. It's it's a tough one. Yeah, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy it regardless. It's a fun event there, and uh, 
I had some good fun stirring the pot out there and got some ideas to stir the pot, pot a bit more this year. So. Are you going to run like a really long arrow bar now or something just to spite them or what? No, I mean, I might just be making some statements with my outfit. So keep your eyes peeled for that. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Uh, you mentioned plugs. That was on my list, uh, tire plugs. And this would be for mountain bikers, XCO right through, and then also certainly for gravel. What is your feeling on these? Like, I haven't had a ton of luck. I know Guthrie, Evan Guthrie, really likes them. Um, I don't know. Like, have you had success with these tire plugs? Yeah. I mean, I didn't really use them until, you know, last last couple of years. But a um, bit of a technique. But they can be, you know, really a lifesaver getting that tire fixed and on the, the road again. I mean, there's definitely a bit of technique to make sure they kind of get stuck in there and don't fly out. But... I mean, I uh, I had to use one to, you know, do a quick fix at, at Kanza and, um, you know, I've used them at uh, Cascadia to finish the day. And, I mean, the, the brutal one was uh, Bentonville, if you heard about that race with all the, I mean, 17 of the top 20 guys flatted. And, wow. you know, I had to use four plugs to kind of make it across the finish line. But they, uh, I mean, there's, there's different types and different thicknesses, but... I had a pretty good slash in my uh, for a good snake bite on the top of the tread, and had to use a you know a big fat one and a small one to kind of plug the slash and get the bead sealed as well. Um, but it's definitely, especially there, it was you know really muddy and thunderstorms, and would have been really tough to get the the tire off and tube in and change the valve. So it's definitely a a nice quicker fix if you can get them to seal. Just kind of yeah, kind of make sure you push them in and flatten them out so they don't uh, get get pulled out by the train. Right. What brand do you use? Uh, I've used a couple different ones. Um, I work with 1UP, which is kind of makes a handy pump with EDC tool, and you can kind of nest a little tire plug at the bottom of the EDC tool so it kind of stays clean in there, and that's what I was using out at, uh, at Dirty Kanza. Um also, just uh, I've used some of the the Dyna plugs as well, which uh, work really well as as well. Okay, yeah, I saw. I think I saw Ted King was talking about Dyna plugs, um, and I was wondering if that's because he he sort of mentioned it in passing in the thing I saw, and I wasn't sure if that. So that's like, would that be like a bigger like? The, would those be thicker? Yeah, I mean, they make a couple trick little you know, devices, uh, one that can actually use with a CO2. I haven't used that one, but, uh, I mean, yeah, they're, they're from the, the auto side and came on the mountain bike and there's kind of different thicknesses of plugs that take up more or less space depending on what kind of, what kind of puncture. Right. Okay. Uh, let's move on then. I don't want to belabor the, the technicality of things. Um, let's switch over to mountain bike stage racing and, and it's a little it's similar but different in some ways i guess because you're doing multiple days um what what do you do as far as food and calories like how do you think about that for something like a, a mountain bike stage race like uh, the one you just did in moab i mean that i mean that really varies um moab for instance we were racing pretty early in the morning it was it was quite cold it even snowed there one day so the hydration was really not a concern at all. Um, I mean, we're still two hour stages, but, um, we're, it was near freezing or definitely single digit Celsius. So there I just, I mean, I barely drank half a bottle of bottle. 
Um, but for BC bike race, for those longer days where it can get uh, warmer, it's definitely a bigger concern. And I'll race with a chase vest there every day just to make sure I stay up, stay on top of hydration. And certainly when uh, technical trails like a BC bike race, it's really hard to kind of consistently grab for your bottle um, when you're trying to charge it in the single track. So it's really a nice way to be able to just grab the hydration hose and, and drink whenever you want on the trail. Um, as well, it's just, I mean, I find with the, the pack at those races, it's just simple. Every morning you don't have to think about grabbing your spare parts and tools you just have it all in your your pack you refill the bladder and you're ready to go for the next day which uh keeping things simple on a long stage race often is is nice mentally yeah that's definitely the trick right is that routine day-to-day during the stage race um do you have like a preferred in something like that where you know we're not racing necessarily at xco pace uh, but still going hard like how what do you eat i guess during uh, uh, one of those stage races? Yeah, I mean, I, I work with Goo Energy. Um, so typically I'll use a rock train drink, which is pretty high calorie, usually about 250 calories a bottle. So in general, I take a lot of calories from the drink, which makes it pretty simple, and then uh, usually carry a couple Goo packs as well. Um, find uh, definitely a, a race effort, the, any kind of bars is kind of, harder to get down with the breathing and uh, a couple goos is always makes it pretty easy to to top off if feeling a little bit low on a long day but for me in the stage race it's almost more important the recovery so i'll definitely try to get in some of the the goo recovery drink right after the race and uh, for me that's a big thing getting as you know getting the food and recovery in day to day in the stage race Yeah. Awesome. And I think that's, you know, sometimes we miss that and it, you know, you'll see the recreational rider who's coming in, you know, they're out there for more of a tour, right. And they're, they probably could use some of those solid foods cause they're not, you know, maybe quite working at that like top of VO2 type attacks and stuff like this, right. They're out there for a longer period. So it's always tough sometimes when, you know, we have recommendations and stuff and how that changes based on, you know, the goals or the duration of the, the event. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I always try to, you know, plan ahead and have a little recovery drink ready. I mean, it's easy to, you know, getting into socializing and hanging out at the race. And sometimes it, you know, a couple minutes turns into an hour, hour and a half, two hours before you get real food. So I find like, if I can have that recovery drink and some of the snacks at a stage race finish, it kind of gives me that buffer to kind of be more relaxed and hang out and uh, make my way to some real food. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's an awesome tip. You know, a lot of times we don't think about that, but certainly the name of the game in those stage races is, you know, consistency over the number of days, right? It, it's no one day that's going to make or break you even, uh, likely. Um, so that's, that's awesome. I love that. Uh, is there anything else as far as, you know, bike setup or gears, bags, that sort of thing that you, you sort of really change for a stage race? Well, I mean, the biggest thing is to, you know, practice practice how you're going to race and carry things uh, for the stage race. I know, I mean, Kansas was a lot of uh, prep, figuring everything out, um, just self-navigation. you got to figure out carrying uh, if your navigation device doesn't have a lot of enough battery power, figuring out. I had to 
strap on a little backup power power unit or battery to make sure my I had the navigation to the end but mostly bags i mean uh, my bike has room for one of those little bento box bags so i um it actually has the the braze on mounts um and i tried training with the with that because it was a you know nice little way to carry food and stuff right on the the front of the top tube but it just didn't work for me just with my pedal stroke in the knees right. so it's important to uh, you know test that stuff out and just see fit and function and you know little stuff like uh, a lot of hydration packs come with a kind of over length hose and you can cut the hose to make sure it's a right length yeah. and easy to use and getting the straps and everything set so you're not fiddling with that stuff mid race yeah that's awesome i love that i call that gameplay right like you want to sort of play play the game um before you get there and I, I love that like i hate bento boxes so badly for some reason um i just hate the jiggling and, and it just sitting there but for some people they love it you know and in iron man uh i did end up using it just because it's sort of like you say it's strapped onto the bike and in iron man you sort of just hop on your bike and go you don't sort of have your pockets and you, you're not wearing a hydration pack but um, that's awesome that you found, you know, your, your knees ended up hitting it and, you know, something that could have been helpful ended up yeah. being a pain in the butt. Right. Um, but you do hear stories like that, right? Like we, we get into the race last minute change, um, and pe- it, you know, ruins the day or that hose is a great example. I love that. Um, and I, I wouldn't have even thought of that, that you could make that hose like the perfect length so that like when you drink a thousand times over cans or a hundred times or whatever, I love that. Um, okay. Um, so I wanted to, uh, I don't know if we're going to have an argument. I doubt it, but, uh, you, you're very open about your, your detesting doping, which I don't think is an odd stance to take. Um, but just recently we had, uh, a younger or a very successful female cyclist tested positive, um, which was sort of a shame. Um, and you had tweeted and I'll link to all this, um, sort of that, the, the gist of the tweet was that you know people should be watching sort of their their teammates and and sort of just make watching for people who are silent even and I was like I don't know if I understand that so I just wanted to talk through that um, to understand sort of your perspective on um, on that I guess on on silence I guess yeah I mean I mean I'm not gonna don't want to cast judgment on you know individual persons until the process goes its way but I've just found, you know, a couple of points. I mean, over my career, you can really, it's interesting to watch different people's, you know, and opinions and statements and words in reaction to doping. It really can tell you a lot about their stance or acceptance of it. But for me, it's, it's really important for, for clean athletes to speak up. Um, I mean, I think it's one of the easiest justifications for people who decide to, to cheat is their justification that everyone else is doing it. So it's, it's no big deal. And, um, that was part of the initiative with cycling Canada's race clean on your victory. It's really important for successful athletes to, to speak up and that have had success and say that they've done it clean and make a strong stance on it. So the, you know, the rung young riders who are, are struggling to, you know, find that success, know that not everyone is doing it and you can achieve that success clean in sport. And there's, there's many good reasons to to race clean and um just as mentally and lifestyle but um just another opportunity to kind of you know raise that 
discussion and uh i just find it yeah pretty curious watching everyone's reaction not i mean particularly with betsema but in general um i mean if you're a clean athlete uh you should be pissed when you see news like that and i think it's it's positive for people who feel strongly about clean sport to to speak up uh so it's not normalized yeah yeah i think i understand that i think that that makes sense i think i was like so if you don't say anything then you're you're in the wrong but i don't think that's what you're necessarily saying but you are saying that we shouldn't especially if you're in a position to say something or or you know influence a group or you run a club or something like that right like there's the difference between being silent or just going along with stuff um you know yeah no it's just all the context of it's interesting i mean not saying that being silent i'm not saying silence wrong but just encouraging people who are for clean sport to to speak up instead of uh you know the emerita and cycling and not say anything or uh, not have an opinion it's important for people to, to clean up and you know um, show their frustration at times yeah and the one um that came to mind for me that i think we share and i know you've been vocal and sort of called people out a few times over it but you know some of the clubs and sometimes it's it's almost by accident or or you know like you say people aren't paying attention or and it gets sort of pushed through but some of the like post doping like return to coaching or return to positions or or like the worst i, I think is you know paying for someone to come and do like a, a fondo or something with a club um you know that obviously is going to have kids and have younger athletes part of it right and i think that to me is like a, a way that a lot of us who do run clubs or coaching or whatever can sort of speak up that like you can't hire than people after that they've been found guilty right yeah i mean it, well it depends on your your stance on clean sport but i think if it, it's something you believe in um i mean i certainly wouldn't hire a former doper to come speak to my kids if i had something some but i think yeah i think in general i, I think some of it's pretty innocent. People have pretty short memories, and um, a lot of people new to the sport, which is great, but don't have a perspective on the, the history of sport or what's happened in the past, uh, so they're a bit oblivious to it. But for sure, I mean, it was definitely, my opinion, when I was involved with Cycling Canada, that we don't want to associate with, with former dopers and make a, uh, you know, a really strong stance for clean sport and supporting the the clean athletes to make good choices in cycling to support and promote those athletes and not, you know, work with, with athletes that made, made poor decisions. we got plenty of good role models to work with. And not that I wish though, those people any harm in their private life and they're um, free to pursue, pursue anything in, in involved in around the cycling world. But I think it's definitely, um, the public organizations like Cycling Canada and Cycling BC, uh, where I'm from in BC, it's uh, really encourage them to take a strong stance and not associate with the, those people. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think that's an important point you made. That, like, again, you know, in a personal relationship, you know, I think we we do want to be forgiving to people and give them another chance, um, and we certainly don't even need to necessarily we don't need to um you know bar them from ever participating in in sport again i don't think that's you know these people are going to go on and have kids and hopefully we do 
have them back but i think it, it it's that it's a tough gray area right like how far back are they allowed to come right and i don't it's a gray area right there's no consensus. yeah i mean it, it's all it's all shades of gray i mean um some there's some that uh people there's been a lot more truth and reconciliation but some people that have never really you know admitted and just kind of put their head down and hoping everyone was gonna forget about what happened and uh you know i was really impacted by it a lot through my career so i certainly haven't uh forgotten about a lot of the transgressions that personally affected me and a lot of my friends and i'm you know happy to speak up for clean sport and remind people of uh, what happened when need need arises. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm, I was back and forth whether we should talk about because it, it is sort of a, you know, a negative thing in some ways. But I think it, it is important. And if, you know, we can just communicate the message of, you know, there's lots of great stories out there. You know, there's the Catherine Pendrels or whoever you want to pick who are, you know, really nice people and really great and, and are doing it, you know, fairly real. So, um yeah, so I think that's that's maybe enough on that. I don't know if you have anything else. I think that was summing it up. Um, one more thing I think I you know, want to end on a slightly more upbeat note. Um, you know, you're doing all these different events, and you know, I, I know you certainly go into races like Sea Otter with betting on yourself, um, which I think is still – it's not a bad bet. I would have taken that bet. I've seen it happen before when you know it was, it was, it was close and whatever, and you do have those tricks. What I'm wondering is, you know, going into any event, even something like Kanza, you know, it's a pretty unknown. Um, some of these races you've never done before, like certainly Kanza you hadn't done. How do you think about, you know, success at that event? We've tried to hash out a lot of like why we do sport here on the podcast and setting goals, you know, especially for people who don't have, you know, you've been, you know, X place at the Olympics, you've done Sea Otter millions of times. So you have an idea of the outcome, but how do you set, you know, that success? Like you were 10th at Sea Otter, that's not first, you've been first. So on paper, someone might be like, oh, Jeff Kabush must be super upset. But, you know, how do you come away from that with some positives? No, I mean, I have to be realistic about Sea Otter, but, uh, you know, I have nothing really to to prove from a racing perspective anymore uh, personally. But, you know, I still really enjoy racing and, you know, most of all, just really enjoy riding my bike and, and feeling fit and healthy. So, you know, I really enjoy lifestyle and i mean i'm definitely more focused on the the market market marketing opportunities i can you know provide for my my sponsors and i mean obviously i'm still competitive but i definitely have to you know pick and choose events where i can have success and create an impact and i mean i think that's a the nice thing for me i'm i'm really a diverse athlete so i got a, a lot of different events uh and places i can you know make an impact so it kind of takes the pressure off uh you know some people they're strictly gravel racings and their and their um, season really you know revolves around success that dirty cans are not but i mean uh, i can go out there and you know have some fun and stir the pot with a editorial about aero bars but you know still have goals you know for sure um you know bc bike race is you know one that i really want to do well this year but you know that that's one that's really well suited to my you know technical skills and strategy and endurance and so i mean i'm realistic it's going to be tough for me to to be at the front of a pure xe race but i can certainly try and have fun and you know sea otter is much more kind of a festival now so it's really important for me to connect with all the companies that support me there and you know 
come up with uh, ideas to have fun and get the messages out there for the, the stuff I'm representing. Do you think in terms of <clears throat> think of process goals and stuff, um, do, do you think, you know, whether it's Seattle, you can pick the race, I guess, but, you know, targets for the day as far as where you want to be maybe off the start or um, I'm trying to think of other process goals you might set but you know sea otter you mentioned your tricks so i wonder like around those tricks are, are some of those tricks there must be you know things that if you do them they might work or they might not but that's sort of feeding into that success of the day do you think is there anything there well i mean yeah for well tricks and sea otter um you don't have to spill all your tricks but no uh uh, they're actually going to production, so I'm going to have to stockpile them, but use those max light tires. I don't know if you've ever used them, but they're, yeah, they're basically road tires and Seattle is a bit of a road race. So, I mean, it's a, it's a big points race, but you know, obviously if, uh, I don't finish, it's no big deal for me. So I can kind of roll the die, roll the dice with some, some light tires or, you know, I'm looking for any kind of advantage I can get and, Starting farther back, you know, it gives me a bit of an advantage to kind of roll up on the pavement to get uh, closer to the front group, and I can, you know, try to make things like that work or take a bit more risk to try to give my give myself a chance with the young guys. And it's, uh, I don't know, I enjoy, uh, you know, pushing myself still, and it's uh, for sure fun. Uh, I mean, if I if I don't have that success, you know, on the podium, it's. Uh, like I said, I got nothing to prove, so it's it's no big deal. Still, there's lots of ways, uh, kind of, you know, as I said, diversified myself as an athlete. You know, whether it's, you know, I can still go to a race uh, and, you know, write some articles uh, for Pink Bike or whatever, and, you know, I just kind of in a good place at, at the right time, again, in my career with, you know, popularity of a lot of the events in, in North America. There more endurance and, uh, you know, slightly – xc-ish events and xc product coming yeah. out for, for me to promote so it's uh i mean i'm just really enjoying the events and the people and riding my bike these days so it's uh makes it easy when i'm when i'm having fun to, and like i said i just enjoy the feeling of of feeling healthy and feeling good i think you know once you know that feeling it's it's easy to take care of yourself and be healthy and, and enjoy enjoy where I'm at right now. Perfect. Well, I don't want to take you too long. I'm sure you've finished your coffee and stuff that uh, you were going to have while we chatted. So uh, I do appreciate you taking the time and I think some really good takeaways as far as training and gravel training and doing stage races and all sorts of crazy adventures. So hopefully folks can sort of take that and put it into a successful summer here. Um, is there any, can you give us sort of a quick rundown of where people might run into you over the next few months? I know there's a lot of events and we've talked about a few, but maybe just a quick rundown of where people might find you. Yeah, no, I mean, for sure. If people are at events, feel free to come up and chat or ask questions, but uh, be at the Epic Rides for most of them. Um, heading over to France in June, so I'm not sure if I'll make it to the Carson City off-road, but uh, that and Kansas and uh, back up to BC Bike Race. Or Downeyville will be out in Colorado for, like I said, Breck Epic and the SBT Gravel and uh, a little bit of cross, a little bit of everything, but schedules on my more or less schedule for the seasons up on my website, jeffkabush.com, so you can kind of track me down there or social media. 
shoot me a message. I'm in, at Jeff Kabush on, on most things. Um, but happy to chat and answer some questions. Awesome. Well, I hope you have a good day. Uh, thank you again for chatting with us, Jeff. Sounds good. Good talking to you, Peter. Take All care. Right. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, you can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out wideanglepodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content, and to become a donating member so you can get all of that rad behind-the-scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week, uh, do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. Takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer, you can do it on your phone, and it really helps us out. Thanks so much, and we will see you next week.